You're listening to Unseen Theatrics with Clinton Kamak. Hello and welcome to today's episode. This occupation has the task of what would have originally taken days on the first mount of the show. Rigging, focusing and updating cues on the lighting desk, all in just a few hours in different venues every other week. Working in venues that are well equipped with the latest technology to more run-down venues. Today we are talking to a relighter. Mark has been in the industry for many years and has travelled extensively overseas with a well-known children's theatre company, touring two different shows, also working with a cabaret performer, which has included working in Edinburgh and New York. Please welcome Mark to Unseen Theatrics podcast for today. Hi, Mark. Hello, Clinton. It's a pleasure to be here. Talking about uh, a role in the lighting department today with you, tell me about the responsibilities that you have as a relighter? As a relighter, one of the main responsibilities is just to make sure that you have all of your information in place. That's one of the most critical things. Um, And that can come from a variety of uh, interesting places. Um, Communicating with the company and the venues is quite important to make sure that all of the, the tech specs are being met, all of the plans have been passed on to the relevant people and everybody understands what's going on. It's also quite important to work with the designer to understand what the design actually is and, and what each of the specific fixtures is doing in the design. Also, you prepare any documentation that the company might require of you to prepare for the the show, the tour, whatever. And when you're in the venue, your job is to liaise with the crew to manage the bumping of all of this information and make sure everything goes smoothly right up until opening of the show. Wow, you've you've got a bit on your plate then. (laughs) You could say that. Yes. In your travels around the place, you've got a gig bag that you carry with you. That I do, yes. Top three things in your gig bag that you wouldn't leave the country without. Probably the most important thing for me would be an iPad router combo. Yep. It's, it's quite critical, especially with the sorts of shows that I've been touring. The, the way the tour is structured, there's not a lot of time in the venue. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the nature of the touring that I've been doing. So it's really handy to have a remote for the lighting console so that I can stand on stage and drive all of the channels that I want brought up. And then we can have local crew being up the ladder to point the fixtures where they need to be pointed, yep. uh, rather than me standing with a piece of paper and conversing with somebody else and usually speaking it's our own console that's coming and maybe the venue crew don't know it so having that ipad link is a, a really important thing to make sure that the focus goes smoothly yeah another thing that's really important for me is having some spare three to five and five to three adapters yep. just in case there's something in the venue that doesn't quite match up cable wise mm-hmm. so we've always got that backup get out of jail free adapter kit that we can utilize yep. i've got a couple of dmx testers by a company called Sound Tools, and they're basically a five-pin DMX tester over distance. So you get two ends that you plug into each end of the cable, and it comes back with a a little LED light system that tells you what's wrong uh, with the cable itself, if there is anything that is wrong with the cable. And it's quite handy because you can use it on cables that are installed over distance rather than having to have both ends of the cable right there in front of you. So they're they're probably good things to to have in your kit. All right. Touring a couple of shows you've worked in theaters all across the world have you come across 
some different terminology and and how have you dealt with that? It's very interesting to see the differences between Australian theatres and and various other theatres across the globe. Usually it's not too much of a problem. It just takes a, a little bit of time to get your head around what everybody says. For example, just small things, but we've got like shifting spanners in Australia, which we colloquially known as a shifter. Over in the US, it's a sea wrench. That's what that particular tool is called. And mm. then the same tool in the UK is called an AJ because it's an adjustable spanner. So it, it's, uh, it takes a fresh moment to just flip your head over and go, Oh, yeah, that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Another fun one in the US, uh, we were in a theatre in New York and they were calling for twofers and threefers, which were double adapters. Yep. It took us a fresh while to figure out exactly what was going on there. <laughs> it's different to see how different people have abbreviated different things because it's all just abbreviations of all, all of that sort of stuff to make it easier to shout down through the grid. So it's it's interesting to see how people have come up with their little um, idioms. Yeah. You mentioned earlier about using an iPad. What software are you using on that? And what other software do you use to to be able to do your job? On the iPad, I have a VNC viewer because Jans Vista doesn't actually have a dedicated app so that you can control each of the fixtures and whatnot. So we get around that by using a VNC server, which is basically a screen sharing app that lets you see the screen of the MacBook through the iPad and control the Mac mouse using the touchscreen of the iPad. Mm -hmm. There's a whole variety of different VNC servers, and that's a pretty critical one for me. Yeah. QLab is quite an important one. Yep. I've programmed many a show on QLab. I, I think it's an incredibly powerful piece of software, especially for the price that you pay for it, because you can do all sorts of things with it, lighting, video, and audio-wise. And they have a dedicated remote as well for the iPad, so you can mm. download the app and open up your, your show and join in on the show, and you have full control over all of your queue volumes or your, your levels or, or whatever you need to use it for, which is also incredibly useful. Mm. I think they would probably be the main ones that... I would specifically be using. Yep. There are other parties in the touring party that would be using programs like AutoCAD, which is yep. a software to draw up all of the plans for all of the venues. After the venues have sent through their CAD drawings, we can then use that program to put our show into their venue and say, this is what it all should look like. Yep. That usually gets drawn up uh, in my circumstance by a production manager. Um, there would be circumstances where programs like that are used to do the lighting thing as well. Mm. It's a good thing to have a, uh, a MacBook or, or some form of computer that you can access because if you need to open up plans and that sort of stuff, it's very tricky to do that on an iPad. So lots of the time I will be touring with an Operate computer that I'll also use in an emergency to access a plan and have a look at something or, or make a quick addition here or there or, or draw up a new plan while I'm on the road and that sort of thing. I usually draw on a program called LX Beans which okay. is a CAD program for Mac and Windows. It's specialized for lighting, uh, so you can draw up all of your lighting plots and come up with lovely quick sketches of various things that you need to do. Nice. As a red lighter, how well do you need to know this show and its lighting design? Well, I would say that the main responsibility of someone who is relighting the show in a new space is to make sure that the show looks the same as it did on opening night. That's basically your responsibility so mm. you have creative decision to to make any changes that need to be made in order to make the show look like it did when it first opened 
when the first audience laid eyes on it because the integrity of the show is about it being seen in the same way by different audiences in between different venues. So you really need to understand what the lighting design is. You need to understand what each of the fixtures are doing in their positions and you kind of need to understand what that effect has on an audience member. When we were touring The Young King with Slingsby, when we were first touring, make a conscious decision to sit in different places in the audience for the first couple of seasons when we were doing our tech run so that I could see from each of the audience places what the lighting design was doing and then go, okay, that's why that fixture is focused there. Because for the Young King, the audience were in the round on three sides. So a backlight to one person is actually a front light to another person. It's basically just knowing that like, okay, well, I'm focusing this light here for this particular reason because of that audience member that's sitting over there and understanding that from all of those angles. And the only real way that you can do that is by watching the whole show from all of those different angles and going, okay, that light is doing this job here, but it's also doing that job there, which I might not have noticed if I was just watching it front on. But also you, you get to know the show the more times you bump it in, the more times you operate it, the more times you look at paperwork and you get to know the stuff that you can do and the stuff that eh, actually we're not quite going to get away with that, which will differ from venue to venue depending on exactly what the venue can and can't provide. Right. If we move into pre-production of a show, what are the things that you're doing in, in pre-production? Pre-production time, I'm basically on call to answer any and all questions that the production manager might have for me in terms of if a venue is coming back and saying things that are not quite fitting in with our plans. I'm on call to answer emails and have phone calls and all sorts of communication devices, depending on where we are in the world. Yep. Just making sure that everything that we think we know, we absolutely do know for each of the venues that we might be going to on a particular tour. Yeah. I'm also trying to draw up bits and pieces of paperwork. Uh, in my experience, the production manager was the one who had the responsibility of drawing up each of the venue plans uh, for each of the tours. And then he would send them through to me. And then I would have a quick look over them at some stage to make sure that they all looked good and everything was looking okay. But lots of interesting questions about this lighting position doesn't quite work in this venue. Can we come up with another solution? There was a couple of times we toured a fixture called an IQ, which is a Roscoe IQ. It's a basically a mirror that you attach onto the front of a standard profile that has DMX control so you can have pan and tilt. Succinct, I suppose, it's a poor man's moving fixture, but it, it's it's a lot more useful than that because it means that you get that lovely warm tone of a, a conventional fixture, but you actually have the ability to move it around. So for our show, we needed one that was right out the front and quite low down. And in some of the venues, because we were typically set on the stage, they needed to be like moved out into the audience. So there would be communications between the production manager and me about, well, how can we do it in this venue? Can we put it hard up against the edge of the stage? Do we need to have it further out into the the audience and organize a boom stand to go out in there and power and whatnot run to that fixture and various interesting questions like that yes yes so uh, a bit of problem solving as well along the way if you solve a problem early you are in a good stead you're in good stead for when you hit the theater because at least then you know that if your problem solve isn't going to work then you can actually you you know that it is a problem when you hit the theater yes okay I hope you're enjoying this week's episode. Join me next week as we talk more audio as I have a chat with a monitor engineer.
check one, two, hey, 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 yeah, 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 check one, two. And I can hear in my speaker exactly what they're hearing out on stage. The place you don't want to be practicing for the first time is during the gig. What plans and documents are they that go backwards and forwards between you and the venue? When they book the show, they receive a copy of our technical specifications, which include not only all of the lighting requirements, but all of the staging requirements, the sound requirements, any vision elements, basically anything the venue needs to provide and anything that the company will provide are included in these texts. So there's also things like a minimum performance area and a a capacity max if the company has called for one. It's kind of the technical Bible of the show. If you need a question answered, it should be in the technical specs. Okay. My uh, responsibility before we went on the road, and indeed right at the end of the original season back in, in 2016 for The Young King, was to sit down with the production manager and draw those up because all the information is now fresh. We can now put it all down onto paper and know that this is what we're, we're sending out. It's also very important for venues when they book the show because they obviously need to know what gear they need to provide and that gives them a good indication of exactly what they are providing. Mm. It is obviously a movable feast as things change and and plans manoeuvre, but it's a good starting point at least. Yeah, We would also then send them through a lighting plan as part of that package. So the production manager would draw that plan, like I said before, onto the venue-supplied CAD drawing, which would be a two-scale computerized version of the venue with all of their lighting bars in position, all of the wings where they all needed to be or where they were for their standard hang. Mm. And then the production manager would come in and say, okay, well, we need a lighting bar here and we need the bar here and the bar there and, and draw that over. He would communicate with me and say, in this venue, the in-house lighting bar is is a foot upstage of where we need our bar to be. Is it okay to shift our lighting bar half a foot upstage? And will we still make all of the same shots? And I would sit down and have a quick think about it before um, sending through my responses. And the lighting plan per venue is essentially a massaging of the original show into the new space. And of course, because no show is ever built to go in every single venue ever, there's always a little bit of higgledy-piggledy to get the show into its new home for its little run there. All right. Do you have all information on the on that lighting plan for patches and and that just sort of more of a fixture thing and then they sort out the patch and how it actually gets into your desk depends on the touring systems for the company so when i was touring for co-opera the the time that we went to the dubbo regional theater which is a, a beautiful theater out in dubbo just outside of sydney there i sent them through a lighting design And they pre-rigged everything for me. So they basically said, okay, well, this is our standard wash. You can have these fixtures and those fixtures. And are you okay with these substitutions because of what you're, you're trying to achieve there? And then I okayed all of the substitutions or said, actually, no, I prefer this kind of fixture instead of that kind of fixture. If you could swap that over before we get there, that'd be great. It's not so much a patching thing because usually speaking, when I would get to the theater for those sorts of theaters, it would just be a soft patch into the console where I'd open up the standard show file and just patch in the channels that I needed to control at that end rather than having them mess up all of their patching systems for every show that come in. You know, cool, and obviously the venue spec as well. I, th- I think I think you mentioned that. Yeah, it's a yeah. good resource if you are needing to substitute something out. A lot of the times we were chasing a certain degree fixture 
we were after a 19 degree, but if they had a, an 18 to 26 degree, then that's a, a suitable substitution because our degree fit inside of that beam spread on their fixtures. Yep. It's good, good to know what the venue has in case you, you need to do something at the last minute or you need to swap a fixture out or any of those things. Yeah, yeah. All right. What are some of the common issues that you come across? I I reckon you've probably mentioned at least one with substituting different fixture types to to equal the same result. Is there anything else that you commonly incur? It's either that or venues trying to to suggest alternate solutions in order to save on labour hours or something like that. If we ask for a specific type of fixture, the venue can come back and say, actually, we don't have that kind of fixture. We have this kind of fixture, just because they don't want to actually go out and hire the fixture that we need if the fixture that they have is going to do the job perfectly adequately. So Mm. they're perfectly within their rights to ask all of those questions. And especially with the spectrum of shows that we're talking about, we're not in for an awfully long period of time per venue. And the standard run for me would be probably five days between bumping in and closing up. Okay. So if we can make do with the stuff that they have in the venue, then it's always good news to do that. And it's always good to pick your battles in terms of substitutions and making sure that, yeah, we'll get away with using your one of this and your one of that, but we know we definitely need this type of fixture for that job. Yeah. And it's exactly the same with making sure that if we need a lighting position for a very specific shot and it's going to be tricky to actually make do in that venue, then it's quite critical to say we're negotiable on a lot of things, but this thing is one that is definitely a non-negotiable point. For the Young King, in the end, we ended up with a touring system where because we were bringing all of our lights, we would just ask the venues to hang us lighting bars wherever we needed them, and then we could fly them out to whatever height we needed them to be at. But there was always conversation in lots of different venues about, well, actually, these lighting bars are at a fixed point here. They're going to be just like slightly higher. The venue says they're going to be slightly higher, but they're actually about a metre and a half higher, and that's not quite the same thing as it were. And that sort of thing where they're going, we don't want to spend the man hours doing a job for something that could be achieved with the stuff that's already there just because of the the time that you're in the space yeah. and, and the extra gear hire that we need to incur and, and all that sort of stuff. There's also been a couple of places that have actually said, no, we don't want you to bring your own stuff. We just want to use our own stuff. An interesting thing, when we were in the New Victory Theatre on 42nd Street in New York, they would not allow us to use our own lighting console. They said 100% we have to use the in-house console. Right. And they definitely told us that many, many months before we, we hit the theatre. So we actually ended up flying the lighting designer Jeff over to replot the show when we were in the theater okay because we needed to plot the show onto their etc ion basically because they have their own system of of show stop backups and that sort of stuff that they wanted to be able to use yeah which was definitely the the better case as it were i think for that particular circumstance Mm -hmm. yeah cool you've mentioned that you carry your own show file and your own lighting desk apart from that one occasion you just mentioned then so everything's in that show file and you just change what you need to change between venue look that's the the ideal goal a lot of that question turns around how the show tours and what touring systems you have in place for some of the shows that i've toured it has been a uh, standard show file and you open up the show file for that particular show make any of the tweaks that you need to make and then uh, you're good to go some of them it 
just is not possible to have a show file because you're not touring a console, which means that you need to replot the show every time you get into a new theater space, which can be frustrating, but sometimes is better because it does mean that you don't have to worry about patching in any of their fixtures into your consoles and, and messing around with fixture files. So it really depends on whether you're touring your own gear that you know you're going to plug in in the same basic way in every venue and going to venues where you're just going to be using their gear. If you know the show as well as you should know the show, then it shouldn't take too long to throw some patching together and and plot the show on the the new board. But if you were going to ask me about how I would prefer to tour a show, it would definitely be my own console because then at least I know that all of the all of the intricate detail is loaded up into the show file already. And if you do need to change fixtures out, then you can just clone fixtures across and make all of those changes, as it were. Cool. I was going to ask you to expand on what some of those the finer details of the show file are that you may miss if you have to replot it on a new console. Talking like intricate cue timings, we had a couple in The Young King where they were actually a movement cue on an actor's movement. So it would act like a follow spot with the IQ out the front moving to a second position downstage as an actor moves down. And we got it really down to a good T on timing wise, if I was quick enough on the go button. And that sort of intricate timing, definitely something that you could miss. When you are talking about those sorts of cues, 0.1 of a second has a big difference in the the speed that one of those movers will will move a fixture across the stage i suppose so those sorts of timings are are quite critical and especially if you have cues that like reference points in music and and are synced up to a backing yeah another show that i toured was uh, emil and the detectives which is a mammoth show from a technical perspective i think my q lab show file at the end of it had something like 685 cues for an hour and 10 minute show yep and all of those cues are all synchronized there's lighting cues that fire with sound cues which also trigger vision cues and then it's all time coded against a backing track and all of that stuff even if you could trigger the lighting from a separate console in time with the music all of those auto cues it would take so long to transfer all of those timings across it would render the whole point mute as it were Mm. those finer details inside of the design are really critical really critical to make sure that the integrity of the design stays intact yeah to a lesser extent it's much easier to say when you're slamming cues in at a rate of knots during the plot it's much easier to change 18 percent to 20 percent the audience going to know but it's those real details that i think take a a really good solid lighting design and transfer it across to a really polished final product as it were it's quite easy to lose those things when you're transferring a show between consoles mm. if you're if you're doing it in a rush in a bump in situation yep with time constraints yeah that's it yeah yeah totally so we'll move into the uh the wonderful long day of bumping so for a touring show, you generally have limited time to bump in. So how do you manage everything in the time restraints that you have to make sure you achieve everything that you need to? Usually speaking, for lots of the shows that I've toured, bump in and tech and dress all occur on the same day, with the tech and the dress usually being the same run and just kind of a top and tail of all of the cue points so everybody knows what the differences are around the place. 
So making sure that you are organized is is paramount. So if you've done a good job on pre-production, then you shouldn't feel too nervous when you hit the bump in. Yeah. And you also need to make sure that that everybody at the venue is feeling exactly the same way that you are. Everybody is happy and they all know what they need to do. And you've got enough crew booked from them if you've requested extra crew and all of that sort of information. Yeah, totally. Do you need good communication with the local crew to make sure everything everything happens? I suppose for me, as I was going through, it was about learning the stuff that I needed to tell somebody and the stuff that was just waffle and cutting out the stuff that was waffle and the the really critical things that needed to be done in order for, for the task to be achieved. It, it got to the stage where it doesn't particularly matter whether they use tie line or electrical tape to tie up the looms. It doesn't matter. Just tie the looms on. Mm-hmm. You just have to be able to impart a huge amount of information in the shortest amount of time possible whilst making sure that they understand everything. So communication skills in that sense are utterly paramount. If you have bad communication skills, then your bumping day is going to go really badly. Yeah, okay. Nice. Tell me about the bumping day. What does it look like? What are the first things that you do when you get to that venue? I like to get into the theatre as early as practically possible. A typical start time is nine o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. but I've often pushed for eight o'clock just because it gives us that extra hour to deal with a couple of other venue bits and pieces that might be required. Yeah. So we usually meet the truck at the theatre as early as possible and our schedule for the day starts off with the local crew unloading all of the truck stuff. Yeah. So all of the lighting elements, all of the set pieces, all of the rest of the stuff for the show, they all come out and go onto the stage. And once we've figured out what orientation we're using the stage in, we can direct where all of those elements need to go as they get rolled out of the truck so they're not obstructing anybody's work as the day goes on. Yep. Also look at just having a quick look around the theatre, making sure we know where all of the dressing rooms are, all of the toilets are, all of that sort of stuff. Any inductions that need to be done in the theatre, safety inductions, anything like that from the new company members coming into the space. Yep. And by the time that we finished all of that stuff, the local crew have usually unpacked all of the truck. First thing that I like to do is a toolbox. Okay. Toolbox meaning is kind of a, a chance for us to let the local crew know exactly what they're building. So there might be a couple of photographs shown around. There might be a, a plan laid out in front of everybody with some descriptions of set building from the production manager. I would have a chat about the lighting and the installation of our systems in this various context. And that's probably one of the main places that we can dump a whole heap of information while everybody is not holding a piece of set or standing there with with six different options of power cables on their arm or, or something like that, which I think is coming back to that communication skill. It's a very, very crucial thing for the, the local crew to have that opportunity to go, okay, this is the final product. This is what we're working towards rather than letting them discover the product as the day goes along, because that gets problematic when you're trying to make decisions quickly based on information that you don't know. Yeah. It's also a very good opportunity to get to know all the crew's names, even though I promptly forget them about 13 seconds after they've told me to them. It's good to know at least their names and their departments so I can go to them direct rather than having to bounce around crew until I find the person that I actually need to talk to in order to answer the questions. Mm -hmm. So I'd usually get everybody to introduce themselves and then tell me their role in the theatre, whether they're sound crew, lighting crew, uh, mechanist, 
head sound, head lighting, any of those sorts of things. Because yep. then everybody knows everybody and they all know where to go to. Yep. And then later on in the day, if I say, yeah, actually, that's probably not my question. That's a question for the company manager. The company manager would usually be at those toolbox meetings so they know who they're looking for when they need to go to them with their questions. Yeah. So that's a toolbox in a very broad sense of the term. Yeah. But we would then start work. Depending on the show that you're putting into the theater, I usually tend to start with rigging all of the flown electrics first. So anything that goes above the stage is the first thing to get put up. Okay. Because it doesn't make sense to put the set up before you've got your lighting bars cleared. Because otherwise you're dancing around set pieces. You've got a riser in the middle, so you can't fly your lighting bar into a good working height and make sure that all the fixtures go up quick. It just it doesn't make sense at all. So get all of those fixtures that are going to cause the most issue to set up done first, and then you're left mm -hmm. with the rest of the time to be able to set up the fixtures that aren't going to take that much time away from the overall day and other departments. Mm -hmm. I'll probably send a couple of crew members to run any power or DMX to any of our lighting bars mm. if they haven't already done so as per our venue plans and, and lighting plans or any power anywhere that we necessarily need power or DMX or any of those in-house cable things that they go, oh, well, we've got a patch point downstage OP that can we plug into that? And I go, yes, yes, absolutely. That's not a problem at all. Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of work with battery-powered LED lights and that sort of stuff. So making sure that there's some power to charge those up so that they're on full charge, some power for a computer so that we can open up our lighting plan and, and have an electronic copy as well as a, a paper scribble copy and pretty well everything up until about morning tea. It's yeah. very hectic and your job is to delegate as much as possible. Keep giving jobs to other people and make sure that your workforce is working effectively yeah. because if you've got people standing around not doing that much, then that's manpower that you are wasting. Mm. We would aim to have everything flown by lunchtime. That would be my minimum uh, in terms of the schedule. It, it just has to happen. Mm -hmm. And if we can have all of the set electrics done by lunchtime as well, then that's a great day. Yeah, Because that means straight after lunch, we can come back in and flash and focus. Yeah, We can then get everything focused, make sure that all of our channels are working and we have a little bit of time for touch-ups and problem solving. If one of the fixtures has blown a globe or patching isn't quite right, then we've got a little bit of time to, to sort out any of those little problems. Mm. We usually have the actors on stage at about four o'clock. Right. We would then spend a bit of time updating our presets for our moving fixtures, making sure that they're all okay and the queue list is is happening well. Bounce through your presets and just update them and basically, yeah. And colors and, and just make sure everything's looking about right. Look, if you didn't know what was going on, you would think that I was being a, a terrible person because I would just bark orders at the the actors and my cast are lovely humans and they just did it. It was great. I just said, stand on the bench, stand behind the bench, stand next to the bench. They would stand there and do a little bit, a little bit of the lines while I moved the lights around. I made sure that the, the preset was right and I updated it. Yeah. That in turn would then update all the queue list, which was lovely. Once, once, because once all of that was done, then it was, it was tech dress time. Okay. Depending again on the show, depends on how long your tech dress runs for. For some of my shows, like Emil and the Detectives, for example, that show we pushed to do a full run at each venue that we were in Okay. to a certain extent. It became commonplace for all of the shows to cut 
sections and, and just do like tops and tails and cue transitions and all of that sort of stuff. Mm. But depending on the complexity of the show and the technical elements in the show, you need to rehearse each of those elements at least once before opening night to make sure that all of those elements work. Yeah. So Emil and the Detectives being a very complicated show, the tech dress often ran a lot longer than, say, The Young King, which we could burn through in half an hour or so because the cast had done it so many times because they knew that they were on the same set every night. Yeah. We could just switch to the next queue. They would make sure that they were happy and we could just jump through it that way. Okay. Whereas if the show is more complex, there's much more that could go wrong. Mm. And it is, it's a terrible thing to send something to an audience knowing that you haven't actually practiced it. You, you get many butterflies in the stomach just before you hit the go queue. And you think it's probably not going to go wrong, but I don't know if we checked that. So could it go wrong? Uh, the possibility is higher. Yeah. Okay. If you like what you're listening to, check out my Facebook page, Unseen Theatrics. For more show notes and links, sharing education of live theatre. So with all the focusing, do you have a like a focus sheet that you carry around so you know where each fixture is, is meant to be focused? There is a focus sheet that does travel with each of the shows, especially for The Young King. We've bumped it in so many times, I just know it. Because I know it so well, I know how to change it without destroying anything. And it is such a highly tourable show because that lighting design can take quite a lot of minor changes yeah. and still be completely beautiful. So that's always helpful. Yeah. The focus sheet is quite important for archival of the show because it is important if you are passing the show on to somebody else. So last year I prepared a focus plot for Emil um, when the show went to Sydney. Yeah. And I, I put as much information in it as possible and there's tons of pictures and we try and get somebody to stand in the hot spot of each individual channel and then take a photo of that stage look just so you can see where each beam is hitting and what it is hitting when the venue is as, as standard as possible mm. but especially for a show like the young king i would not personally reference a focus plot every bump in only if i was unsure about what one of the channels was doing there's a focus plot there if it needs referencing yeah there is definitely there is yeah bump in wise that's about the end of the day once we finish tech dress it's it's home yeah you just whiz through tech and dress because you're in a different space every time and you're not necessarily using the same fixtures and angles and that kind of stuff are you talking with the actors or performers on stage about you know, this has changed, this light isn't as, as you know, at 80%, you know, today it's at 50 because we've got this or you need to move you know, a metre this way because of the special won't hit where it normally hits. Again, depending on the show and how it's fitting into the venue really depends on how many changes you need to make with the cast themselves. Yep. For The Young King, for example, uh, sometimes the IQ would be slightly higher up the boom or slightly lower down the boom, so the actors would have to get used to the light shining more directly into their face or, or coming from a little bit higher up, yep. which is important because they're obviously uh, stepping up and down off of this bench and they, they can't be blinded by lighting all the time. Yep. And sometimes you just can't make a shot, so you have to say, could you move that slightly further upstage? It's, again, that communication. Just got to talk to them and say, this is, this is the situation, this is where we are. If you can make the change, you can make the change. It's important to know that... The actors have learned the show in a specific way. So in terms of actually 
letting them have the opportunity to say, no, actually, that is a problem and, and we need to look at changing that. That's completely okay. Another solution to the problem in order to make everybody happy again. Mm. For everybody that I've worked with, it's been it's been delightful and it's all been really, really good. But if you let them know, then they can make the changes that they need to make or you can make the changes that you need to make and uh, everybody has a good time, really. Yeah. During tech, are you updating cues and timing? Timings, not so much. Cues, yes. If there's those miniature changes that happened beforehand, if I need to just pull a a fixture back a percent or two just to make sure that it's not so bright on the face or something like that. Yeah, right. You shouldn't really need to make that many changes. If you're working with a pre-programmed show file and the show was as standardized as it was, you shouldn't need to make that many adjustments because it all should pretty well be the same. Yeah, and I guess it's probably just intensities. That's it, yeah. When I'm touring with fixtures that have intelligent parameters like color and beam and whatnot, I kind of like to tour those with presets as well. So even if you're cloning, you've already gone through all of those presets and updated all of the color presets that you're using inside of the show anyway. So realistically, when you're in the tech or the dress or a combination of the two, Mm. you should just be looking at intensities. Yeah. What does a show show day entail for you? When, when, When do you get to the venue? We try to get to the venue an hour before doors. Yeah, have a little bit of time up our sleeve uh, to do all of our final checks and an LX check and sound check and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. That being said, the first day, it's sometimes an hour and a half just to have an extra little bit of time up our sleeve in case we do need to just do a couple of those little fix-ups after the tech run because we usually like to go home straight away after the tech is done because by that time, it's been quite a long day for everybody and it's good to go home and have a good sleep before the first show day. Yeah. But a typical show day, hour before doors, I I've got a whole heap of presets inside of QLab set up to run all of the checks. I suppose it's prominent to to talk through a bit of an LX check. Yeah, totally. To check an LX rig before you come in. Yeah. Depending on how many fixtures you have and depending on how much time you actually have to do it, I'd split the fixtures up into conventional fixtures, intelligent fixtures by type, and then all of your atmospheric effects towards the end there. Again, depending on how much time you have and whether you needed to do a dimmer warm or something like that, I would turn on all of my conventional fixtures first and then have a walk around and make sure that all of the conventional fixtures turn on. I would then turn on all of my uh, intelligent light, my LED fixtures, and make sure that all of them turn on and they were in the correct colors. Yeah, It's all very well and good to turn them on to white, but if they have reset themselves and they're not in the correct profile anymore, white just means that you have your red, green, and blue channels at full. If those red, green, and blue channels are no longer in the correct sequence, then, hey, presto, the fixture has done something wrong. Yeah, It's good to turn them on to white. It's better to turn them on to some sort of color and make sure that you have control over all of those parameters. Yeah, The next step would be any movers that I had on the gig. Again, referencing a home position mm-hmm. or a preset reference check position that has been programmed previously so you can set all of your movers to a different position to make sure that when they turn on they should all be pointing at one spot and you know that you've got full dmx control over them yeah then there would be separate cues for your like your smoke machines your haze machines low fog machines There, there should be a check in place for each element that you have in your show split up by type to make sure that each of those things as you're looking at the stage is going to work in the bigger picture later on down the line. Mm. 
That's a, a good full LX check. Yeah. So just choose as many cues as you need to in order for you to feel safe, knowing that you're not going to miss anything. Yeah. And you mentioned about a pre-warm of the conventional fixtures. Can you explain why you do this? Sometimes venues will have slightly older dimmer packs. Basically, it, it, they just don't like having a lot of current being drawn through them when they're still cold. So what I mean by that is obviously as a dimmer is pulling power through it, the elements inside of it are heating up. And as they heat up, the, the physics changes a little bit with the, the power drawing through it. And some of the older styles of dimmer packs just don't like a lot of current being pulled through them and then being switched off immediately. It tends to throw breakers and trip out circuits. So sometimes, just to be on the safe side, I will program in a dimmer warm, which is basically all of your fixtures rising very slowly up to about 40%, 50%, something around that area over the course of between one and five minutes, depending on how sensitive I want to be. Mm -hmm. Just so those dimmers have a chance to actually recognize that they're on and that all of the elements can and have a chance to adjust from being cold just to make sure that they are happy and, and ready to be used. Yeah. Uh, so you've done your pre-show checks and that. You're in the unique position of pressing go as well during the show. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with technical issues that may pop up during the show? The first thing for anybody who sees an issue with the show is to just identify what they actually think the issue might be, whether that be a light not turning on, whether that be uh, something fritzing out and, and not not doing what it's supposed to do, whether that be a computer crashing and you losing control over your your lighting software or your, your soundboard or, or, or anything like that. Mm. But it's it's really critical to figure out exactly what it might just be rather than just going, oh my God, what's yeah. going on here? And, and flailing in the wind, just immediately go, okay, well, the issue is that that light is not turning on. Now, why could that be? Is it because there's no globe in the light or the globe is blown? Is it because the channel's down on the console? What might it be? The big thing for me when I'm on the road is that usually I'm, I'm it in terms of support team. Yeah, I, I can't always just get up and start problem solving a an issue because I, I have buttons to press and uh, I'm, I'm hitting go on cues and I need to make those cue points. So if you've identified the issue to the best of the abilities, the next step is really to problem solve from the console or from where you are. And if you have access to one of those people on comms, you can say, hey, something's gone wrong with this. Can you go and have a look at that and, and try and figure out what the problem might be? There's been several times where the lighting console has... Uh, held over another piece of information from another queue list or something like that. So there's a programming error that you can fix at the console and it's nothing wrong with any of the hardware or, or, or anything like that. It's just something that may have traveled across in the tech and suddenly your light is on at 80% instead of 40% or something like that. You can fix those issues yep. on the fly in the middle of the show and nobody apart from you would even notice that those issues existed. Yes. If there is an issue that that realistically is a big issue and you cannot fix it from the lighting console, then you kind of need to be asking yourself whether it required a show stop because that would be the only thing that you could do in that circumstance with the limited crew that, that we had on uh, to stop the show and fix the issue from the fixture. So go to the fixture and, and see what's going on. Mm -hmm. Now, if that 
fixture is not critical to the show if it's just an effect light or if it's just something that's a little bit, uh, a fixture has fallen slightly throughout the middle of the show and, and you can fix it some other way, then that's not necessarily a show stop unless that fixture yeah. is a hundred percent critical to the understanding of the audience of the the piece itself. Mm. But that's another conversation to be had with the rest of the company to make sure that everybody knows what constitutes the show stop and what actually you can just live with. It is going to hurt the show if one of the in-house dimmer packs that we got supplied in the States lost DMX halfway through the show and started randomly flickering lighting channels all over the place. That would constitute show stop. Yeah. In the, uh, the, the circumstance of a show stop, your job is to fix that problem as fast as you possibly can yeah. and get the show back on the road as quickly as possible, essentially. Mm. Get to whatever you need to get to, get it fixed, get it right, move on, mm. get back to your console. If it is a situation where the uh, actors can leave the stage and, and you feel like that's required, then that's, an, again, another conversation to have with the company about how a showstop operates. Mm. If you are asking yourself what constitutes a showstop, will the audience actually notice the absence or overabundance of this thing? Mm. To stop a show really rips an audience out of, the immersion and the experience of the show itself and everything that the actors have been working hard to build up is it's really quite ruined. And it's really hard for an actor to just drop out of a character and then pick it up again exactly where they left off. A showstop is a real problem and it, it really should be just a last resort. Yeah, totally. I hope you're enjoying today's episode. And if you are, spread the word. Let everyone know about Unseen Theatrics. Sharing education of live theatre. What post-show responsibilities, duties do you have? Is it just turn everything off or get the venue to turn everything off? Save the show and away we go? I would save the show several times. Yep. I like to have a couple of backups, yep. at least on two different USBs, just to make sure that if one goes down or one gets corrupted, then there is two options for reinstatement yep and i kind of cap it at two that I, I know lots of people do more backups than that but if you have saved a show file on a desk that desk has corrupted you then plug in one of the usbs that usb has also corrupted that file and then you plug in the second usb and the second usb has corrupted that file you're having a really really bad day and it's almost like someone doesn't want you to have this show anymore Yep. I like to save a new show file every time I save the show. Okay. So rather than just having one file that I consistently save over and over and over, I like to start a file structure where every day there is a saved file. Yep. Okay. Just so that means that if something goes wrong, I can always roll back to the before and have all of the big changes on the standard show file that I've got. Yep. If halfway through the season, the director came up to me and said, hey, I'd like to maybe just pull that intensity down by 10%. I feel like it just needs to come down a little bit. And I said, yep, no worries, not a problem. So I would do that. If that show file were to die, I would still have all the rest of the show file changes that I made the day beforehand that I could roll back to. Yeah. After that, it's power down all of the company stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I would power down the lighting console, lamp off any fixtures that I needed to lamp off, make sure they had enough time to cool down before the venue pulled the power to them, pack up everything, pull a cloth over our operate position to make sure that nobody saw all of the tech gear that was just sitting on the table in the theater and that sort of stuff. Making sure that my particular part of the world was, was okay. 
and happy and ready to be left overnight. Yeah, totally. So that makes a really short post-show and um, and out of the venue. Yeah. So then bump out. So generally uh, after the last show or do you come back? Generally after the last show. Depends also on what size the show is and how long you think the bump out will take. For the Young King and Emil, we were generally speaking about three hours was our aim to get everything down and out. Okay. That was kind of what all it needed to be, really. Just pull everything down and put it all in the truck and, and get back to the hotel. Yeah, okay. You start with your set electrics and then the set can come down and then the flow and fixtures can come down and then you pack the truck again. Yeah. It's all about uh, fluidity and, and making sure that we're not, again, wasting time in the space and wasting man hours and, and crewing and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I would usually start with ops as soon as I could and, and get the local crew to smash out some set electrics for me. Yeah. And then just manage the crew as, as everything else came down and went back into the truck, really. Yeah. Shake hands with all the crew people. Yeah. So post-production. Any information that you can put down on paper right now while it's fresh in your mind and you know exactly what was going on is good information. Yeah. Because as the time goes on, Sometimes there's eight months between remounts. Yep. And if you have that information, then it could be the difference between a really, really easy tour and a really, really hard one. Yep. So as much information as you can get down on that as possible, that's that's good news. That's the focus plot, the textbooks, all of that sort of stuff. Because essentially what you're doing post-production for the original season, you're doing pre-production for your tour. Yep. Okay. Now, post-tour-wise, it's my kind of responsibility to, to report back on, on my departments to the company and make sure that if there are any changes to how the tour operated or any systems upgrades that you could make to the way that the show went on the road, that they could make those whilst we have a little bit of downtime and, and we're, um, the show is, is not going to any new theatres for the moment. Mm-hmm. For example, The Young King, because we were touring all of our own little dimmer packs and all of our own fixtures, we, we actually ended up just making making all our own looms as well. I've taped out the whole lighting rig on the floor and laid out power cables and made up looms to run every single one of our conventional channels. They all had an an individual loom so that our our dimmers would be really, really easy. I mean, the first time that we bumped it in, it was a hectic bump in because it was the first time that we were using new systems, but it was also the first time that we completed the tech dress on the same day as the bump in. Okay. And then when we had these new systems that we installed, we immediately saved like three and a bit hours off the day. Yeah, perfect. That's great. Not to say that is directly the result of me making looms, but as much as you can improve and standardize as you're touring, that's that's the best for your time. Mm-hmm. Make sure that things, you know where things are, make sure that things go up the same way and you'll, you'll thank yourself at a later time. Yeah, totally. I think that's that's it for post-production. No more... Uh, just updating paperwork, putting in new information and just giving feedback to the production managers and producers and that kind of stuff about and the company about about the show. Just to, to tie back to it, it's quite important for that information to go in even if you don't know that the show is going on tour again just because you might not be the next tech to pick it up yeah. and a piece of information that is so ingrained in your head might be quite critical for the new tech to know that the, the show is... This this element needs this, otherwise it's going to fall to pieces. Yeah. Is there, in your, all your different venues and that, is there a time when you've had to creatively think of an alternative to solve a problem in a venue? 
One of the venues that we went to in Ireland was this lovely, lovely venue in Castle Bar, which is a couple of hours outside of Galway. It's a beautiful space. It's a beautiful little town. And all of the people who were there are just the loveliest bunch of people. It's, it was just such a lovely experience going there. But the theatre itself is quite small. It's community run. Mm. So because of the standardization of, of the Young King's touring system, it really required a grid at a specific height so that all of our, our lighting would make shots the basic lighting for for the young king is a whole heap of little 240 volt birdies attached onto these dropper poles with lampshades hanging underneath of them okay and the grid had to be at a certain height because those shots needed to miss the lampshades they were shooting through the lampshades essentially like the gaps in the lamps lampshades around the stage in order to hit the actors on the stage itself. Mm -hmm. So in Castle Bar, we said we need a grid, we need all of these poles at these heights. And they said, we're, we're really, really sorry, but I, I don't think that we can afford to, uh, to get the gear to do that. So there was some discussion between us and what we needed to do and how we were going to solve it. And I spent some time before we got in and while I was in the venue, kind of redesigning the positions of the fixtures in order to make sure that they could still make all of their shots. Mm. Now, part of that was using some of our spare fixtures instead of the fixtures that were tied onto our poles and hanging them in slightly different positions around the place yeah. to achieve the shots through those lampshades. The follow-on effect from that was the decision that instead of the birdies being attached to the poles using two bolts, like a U-bolt style bracket that got affixed onto the pipe and stayed on at that height, we actually swapped over to a small hook clamp style bracket that could move up and down the pipe, which then solved the problem for a lot of other venues down the road because we were able to shimmy them up and down the pipes, uh, depending on how high the final grid was. Yeah, I mean, that was exceptionally useful. To have that flexibility there meant a lot of problems went away in the, the future venues, as it were. So that was a lot of fun mm. when you're doing these sorts of jobs. If you love it, then everything is just so much easier. Uh, yes, a bit of passion for the industry can't hurt anyone. Absolutely. The wonderful last question, any tips or tricks that you would pass on to new people coming into this industry? Look, for me, it's it's really important that you don't just learn one particular thing. It's it's really good to learn multiple things. That goes for all sorts, lighting consoles, sound consoles, any anything that you want to specialize in, you should have a wide variety of experience making shows happen on them. You don't just limit yourself to only being able to use one of everything because that's not the way that the world works. There is different things out there. And sometimes you may find yourself in a situation where you need to use those things. If you don't know, then, then it might cost you time or energy or effort later on down the track. If you're taking on a touring management role or a relighting role for a tour or, or anything like that, you're taking on a show that already exists and you're trying to put it into another venue. If you think you have enough information, you probably don't have enough information. Anything that you can know is going to put you in a in a better stead T to give to give everybody an idea for the amount of information that you need to know for a tour you take the amount of information that you need to know for the single show multiply that by the amount of venues that you go to in order to make the same show happen in each of those venues and then add all of the changes per venue to your standard plan 
and that's the total amount of information that you should have access to. That's a lot. Like, there's a lot of stuff there. Yeah. And not to say that that needs to be accessed, like, immediately or you need to call that back from memory, but you should have at least investigated all of those those paths in order to, to be ready before you actually hit the venue itself. Yeah. The other thing that I would say, and this is a, a very practical thing, and for lighting people especially, is always have just one fader on whatever board you're using that's just open face light over the whole stage. A get out of jail free. If something goes wrong and you need to just put light on stage, you just got it. It's just there. And then you can continue to problem solve and leave the console because you don't need to hit any more cues. Yeah. And come back and slide that fader out and mix it into the rest of the to the rest of the cue stack. Yeah, but also would uh, would come in handy during other parts of the of the in and and tech and during the process that you know you get halfway through. All right, we need to stop for something. Whack the fader up, then you can go do something. Come back, pull it straight back down again, and then continue from where you left off. If an actor asks for more light on stage, you can just push it up like that for a second to, so they can see what they need to see, and then you can pull it down again. Leads on to the the final point in a way, which is just have a backup plan. If you think that there's an issue and you're not certain about whether that whether the problem is going to be solved, have a plan in the works that you can go, okay, well, if, if my uh, original solve falls through, then I've got this other thing that I can try. Mm-hmm. Awesome, Mark. Well, that's it for this wonderful episode of Unseen Theatrics. So thank you very much for coming on and having a chat about being a relighter. Not a problem. It was an absolute pleasure to have a chat. Thanks for listening. Join me again next week as I talk to a monitor engineer.